just going to notes right back there. Perfect. Thank you very much. He's, can we turn that down just a little bit? He's got the pages for notes, and there's blue Bibles right back there on that table. So we're going to jump in to it tonight. What book are we studying? Yes, thank you. It's on the screen, right? Okay, yeah. So our goal, by the way, um, we got the, the speaker hung in here this week and then made a mistake that we didn't check the height of it before we took the scaffolding out. So that's why there's a big dark spot on the top of the screen there in the projector. So hopefully we'll have that fixed by next week. But in case you hadn't noticed, I just wanted to make sure I drew your attention to it so you all notice it now. So it's fair, right? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I had no idea. Well, now you do. You can see the mistake. But anyway, so I want to ask you guys a question. How many of you, show of hands, don't want to hear the story, but how many of you have ever been caught, like, red-handed doing something you weren't supposed to do? By your parents or by a teacher? Okay, every single, well, some of y'all, some of y'all just lied right there. You did that, I believe you did that today. Is that a, hey, is that a good feeling? Wait, hold on, some of you are still talking, so you have no idea what I just said. Is that a good feeling when you get busted like that? For those, for, for those of you who said no, somebody tell me why. Why? Yeah, because you've got that weight on your shoulders. You're absolutely right. When you get caught doing something that, that you're not supposed to do, and it can be a small thing. It can be like, now I'm going to say when you were a little kid, maybe when you were a little kid, because I know y'all wouldn't do this now, and mom and dad say, hey, don't eat anything before dinner, and you go grab a cookie out of the cabinet. Okay? And those of you who did that like two days ago, or... Or it could be a big thing when you don't have a license yet and you decide to take the car for a joyride without permission. Um, I know none of y'all... Oh, somebody just fessed up without even trying to. I'm going to leave that right there. Here's the thing, though. Whether it's a small thing or whether it's a big thing, none of us like that feeling. There's that, that, that sinking feeling in your stomach of, oh, man... I am in so much trouble. And you never know, is it going to be like, I just get grounded, or are they going to kill me and bury me in the backyard? You never know what is going to happen there. But here's the thing. In the book of Daniel, where we're going to chapter 5 tonight, the king gets caught red-handed. The king in this chapter, and by the way, we're going to see this in just a second. This is a different king, but this king, he's in the middle of doing something, and he gets busted. And there's some serious consequences for it. So tonight, real quick, before we jump into our verses, I'm not going to ask you guys to read or to stand up while we read because we're going through the entire chapter again. So next week, we're going to break it down in chapter 6, and we'll do that again. But for this week, you can stay seated where you are. But every time we study a book, you need to have an idea of what this book is, who wrote it, where it's coming from. So who wrote the book of Daniel? Daniel. Daniel. When do we believe it was written? Around the 6th century B.C. What's the king's name that came in and took over Israel? Nebuchadnezzar. You say that so excitedly, J.D. Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, you. I'm so glad you knew the answer. Good job. All right. Who's the, who's the people group that came in and conquered the Israelites? The, what did you say? Okay, Babylonians. That's right. And, hey, two more. Two more. How old were Daniel and his buddies when this happened? 15, 16 years old. And... What is the main theme of this book? God's sovereignty, okay? If you don't know what sovereignty means or sovereign means, it means God's in control at all times. E 
even when things are going great, even when things are going crazy and seem like they're out of control and you don't understand what's happening in life, God is still in control of everything. And we're going to see that play out here again tonight. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5 verse 1. Let me pray for us and we'll jump right into it. God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we can come together, that we can spend time in your word and in your presence. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to walk out of here different, God. Different in, in who you've called us to be because we've been before you in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're just going to jump right in. Daniel chapter 5 verse 1. Let me read it for you. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of a thousand. So let's stop right there. What's that guy's name? Belshazzar. Belshazzar, Belshazzar, however you want to say it. Depends on your accent. I don't know. I'm going to go with Belshazzar. But it says he's the what? Is this the king we've been dealing with the whole time? No, it's not. What we have right here, we are picking up approximately 22, 23 years after the end of chapter 4, where we finished off last week. And if you've paid attention in the first four chapters, we've already talked about it. Who's the king we keep hearing about? Nebuchadnezzar. So we've got a brand new king. So let me give you a little uh, gap filler there. Nebuchadnezzar at this point, guess what? He's dead. So there's a new king. But... This guy, Belshazzar, was not the first one in line after Nebuchadnezzar. What happened is, um, Nebuchadnezzar's son, his name was Merodach, reigned for about two years until he was murdered by his brother-in-law. Right, we're getting some scandal going on here. And then his brother-in-law ruled for, I wrote that down, he, it just says he ruled for a couple of years, and then some other guy by the name of Nabonidus, I should have practiced this one. Nabonidus, that's his name right there. He came in and he took over and it's believed. It's believed that this guy, Nabonidus, married Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. And their son is this guy, Belshazzar. So that's where we've got this guy coming from. And what we also find out here is that Nabonidus, Nabonidus, I'm just going to keep changing it the whole time, um, he ruled the empire. So he was like the guy in charge of all of the Babylonian empire. But his son, Belshazzar, ruled the city of Babylon. So that's, that's why we, we think of this idea of kind of uh, a co-regent. You've got these two rulers. You've got the one guy who's really in charge of everything. And then you've got the other guy who's in charge of just this little portion, not everything. So that's why he's also called a king here. And at this time where we're picking up in Daniel chapter 5, you're going to see that Daniel's still there. Daniel's still around. All these years later, at this point in time, he's just a little over 80 years old. And yet he's still going to show up active in this kingdom. So look at what verse 2 says. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, remember he's not his actual father, we think it's his grandfather, his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. There's a couple really big things going on here. The first one is this. What does it say they drink out of? They drink wine. What do they drink out of? 
cups. What's the specific word? Starts with a V. Vessels. Yes. Perfect. Now, you guys probably don't remember this, but when we started walking through the book of Daniel nine weeks ago, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2, it talks about the fact that Nebuchadnezzar took vessels from the temple back to Babylon with him. What these are, it's these cups, it's these things that he's brought out now that Belshazzar has brought out to drink wine out of. These were instruments that were dedicated to God. They were to be used in ceremonial, ritualistic worship of God. And this is, this is, this is an important thing because this is going to come back here in just a second. But basically what's happening is Belshazzar, they're throwing a huge party. He's got this big party. He's got his wives. He's got his concubines. What that means is he had more than one wife and then a whole bunch of other women. Guys, bad idea. Okay, don't go there. Number one, it's illegal. It's just a bad idea. So, but he's got all these people. It says thousands of people are here and they're having this giant party. But here's the interesting thing. If you study history, here's what you find out. He is totally oblivious or at least ignoring what is happening outside of his little area of the world. Because what's actually happening is if you go back and study history, you remember when we talked about that big statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about and how you had the head of gold and that was Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire and then you had the the silver was next and it went on down and bronze and iron and, and clay and all of those things. And the dream was that each one of those represented a different kingdom. Well, the golden kingdom's still happening. But what he's not paying attention to is the fact that the next kingdom's getting ready to take place. Because if you go back and study history, you find out that the Medes and the Persians had come together and amassed this huge army and they were getting ready to attack Babylon. So this entire party is happening and you've got this army that is, some some people believe the army was camped outside of the city. Remember, this was a huge city. You've got some walls that are 300 feet tall. You've got defense towers all over this place and you've got this army, some people believe, that was camped right outside of this city and Belshazzar is throwing a party. He's 100% confident that he can go on living doing exactly what he wants to do the way he's doing it with this army coming to try to conquer them. That's how confident he was in where he was. He wasn't worried about everything going on outside of him. And the issue here is this is a man that doesn't follow God. We see right here that they're worshiping idols and they're doing it with the vessels that were dedicated to God himself. And that's a big deal because if you go back and you read through the Old Testament, there are times where individuals, they die. They lose their life because they do something wrong with the instruments that are dedicated to God. In fact, it was in a, a 2 Samuel chapter 6 the Ark of the Covenant. What that was is that was the the dwelling place of God with his people at that time. And the rule was the Ark of the Covenant could not be touched by human hand. And there's this guy named Uzzah who's moving the Ark and it's being uh, drawn by a, a, a group of oxen. I say that right? Oxen? Multiple? Yes, thank you. Try to get my grammar correct. And the problem is, is as they're moving it, the Ark starts to fall. And what he does, what any of us would do, he reaches out his hand to stop it from falling. And as soon as he touches it, dead on the spot. Because God told him, if anybody touches this thing that's dedicated to my worship, you will die. 
And here you've got a guy who's taking those things that are dedicated to the worship of God, and he's gone way beyond that. He's brought them out. He's put wine in it. They're drinking out of it. And now he's worshiping the God of gold and the God of silver and the God of all of these other different things. That's a big deal. Basically, Belshazzar right here believes himself to be above God and believes himself to be invincible because he's not concerned about what he's doing. Here's why that matters for us right now. Because sometimes we, like that, we act like that with our own sin. Sometimes we think we're invincible. That we can keep right on living the way we're living, doing the things that we're doing, involved in the stuff that we're involved in, thinking that nothing can hurt us, number one, physically, much less spiritually. And the problem with that is the same problem that Belshazzar is about to find out right here. The problem with that is that that is a scary, foolish way to live your life. Because nobody's invincible. Especially when it comes to sin. Belshazzar, he was doing his own thing, ignoring who God was, ignoring things that had happened in his very city prior to him being king and what God had done with the previous king. And yet, it's about to catch up to him. Because as he's doing all of this, God himself shows up. Verse 5. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So this isn't like Nebuchadnezzar who had some dreams and he had to have those dreams interpreted. He's sitting here having this party and this crazy thing, this hand appears out of nowhere and just starts writing on the wall. And then it says in verse 7, The king loudly, or called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Here comes these guys again. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. So remember you got Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar, you've got... Um, Nabadonis is the big guy in charge and then you've got Belshazzar and he's basically saying you're going to be right under me. Nobody's going to be more powerful than you than me and my father and that's it. And he says right there verse 8 then all the king's wise men came in but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then king Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Can you imagine that happening? Like, you know what it feels like when you're doing something wrong and all of a sudden your parents walk in and you get busted and they find out. You know how you get scared. This guy right here is basically laughing in the face of God and God shows up. I mean, we, okay. Let's put it this way. What month is it? Good. I'm so glad you know, I know where you are. Exactly. I'm willing to bet there's going to be a few of you in here, maybe, maybe not, but probably a few, that are going to go to some kind of haunted house this week. There, this, yeah, some of y'all are like, oh yeah. Okay. So, you know that feeling when you're tense because you're afraid something's about to happen. And your heart starts beating a little bit faster. And you can actually hear your pulse going through your temples. 
and your hands start to sweat a little bit and like something jumps out and scares you and you scream and that adrenaline rush and the next thing you know your body is kind of shaking just a little bit that's exactly what's happening to Belshazzar right here this hand shows up and this hand starts writing and it says right there that, uh, read, read that again it says right there that uh, his limbs gave way his knees knocked together he's scared and when the wise men come in and they can't tell him what this means it says his color changes and his lords were perplexed this guy is scared to death Remember, he's worshiping false gods, and as he's doing that, the real God of the universe shows up and shows off. And then we kind of have a rerun of Daniel chapter 1. He calls in all the wise men, all the enchanters, all of those guys, and guess what they can't do? They can't read it, and they can't tell him what it's supposed to mean. Guys, that's a good life lesson for us. If the people you trust that are closest to you to speak truth and help you understand God's will for your life can't give you wise biblical counsel, you're hanging around the wrong people. These guys need to go. I mean, it's, it's been years. This has been 70-something years, and there's probably some of them that are still there from Nebuchadnezzar. There's probably brand new ones, and they still can't do the one job they have to do. And these are the people the king calls on every single time. If you've got people in your life that you turn to on a regular basis to help you figure out life and to help you figure out where you're supposed to go and what you're supposed to do, if they can't give you godly wisdom, biblical counsel, you need to find new people in your life. And that's exactly what this guy needs to do, and that's exactly what he's about to do. Look at verse 10. It says, The queen... Because of the words of the kings, king and his lords came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king, Belteshazzar, whom the king named Belteshazzar, and let Daniel be called, and he will show this interpretation. Now let's clarify here. This is not this guy's wife, Belshazzar, because remember it already talked about how his wives and his concubines were already there in the party. So when this is talking about the queen, I, I said it a few minutes ago, it's believed that Nebuchadnezzar's daughter married this guy, Nab Nab I, I can't say it, Nabodonus, and then this would be Belshazzar's mom. Okay, so the queen mother, let's call her that. This is the one who comes in. And here's the issue. Whatever she is, she brings hope to Daniel. Or to, <laughs> to Belshazzar. Because she reminds him of Daniel. She reminds him of who this guy is. So in verse 13, it says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. 
but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Don't miss how this king refers to Daniel here. Does he, does he welcome him in and say, Oh, Daniel, you wise man who helped my grandfather. I need your help now. Does he say stuff like that? No. What he does is he takes a minute to remind Daniel of his place in the kingdom. Even over time, as he's gained position and he's gained influence, what he's done right here is he's reminded him, Hey, you're an exiled slave. You're not on the same level that I'm on. He's reminding him of his place, which is ironic because Daniel is the only hope he has in figuring out his situation here. As that's, that's something important for us to remember too because there's going to be people in your life sometimes that try to speak truth into your life and you're going to look at them and think, what business do you have talking to me? You're going to think they have no right to speak truth into your life. And yet, they may be the exact person that God sent to you right then, in that moment, in that situation, to tell you exactly what he wanted you to hear. Again, it's important the people that you let speak into your life. And then it goes on here. <laughs> Look at how he refers to Daniel, not just as a slave, but what does he call him? What name? Hmm? No. What name does he call Daniel? No, he doesn't. Daniel. <laughs> what name? He calls him Daniel. That's what he calls him. What did his grandfather name Daniel? Okay. So you've got Daniel, who's been in this culture for 70 plus years, or approximately 70 years, and he's still going by the name Daniel. Do you remember why they changed his name in the first place? To strip his identity to wipe out what he knew, to wipe out what he believed, to point him in the direction of false gods that they worshipped. And yet here, 70 years later, he's still going by the name Daniel. He's not giving up his identity, the one that he had. This is a momentous thing because what you see right here in Daniel is you see a guy that has lived in a culture for 70 years that has tried to change what he believed and what his convictions were, and yet he hasn't even given up his name. That's huge. Because guys, you live in a culture every single day that will tell you who you are and will tell you that God is not the one that you need to follow, that Jesus Christ is not your Savior, that Jesus Christ will not forgive your sin. You need to live how you want, what feels good, in the moment, no matter what it is. You live in a culture that does not encourage your walk with Christ. And yet you and I are called to be consistent in that walk every single day. In a culture that screams against that. That's what Daniel has done. And here's the biggest difference between us and Daniel. We get to do it surrounded by everybody else in our own homes, in our own town, where we're comfortable. Daniel had to do it in a community that was totally foreign to him. Guys, we have the opportunity to pursue Christ every single day, but we're called to be consistent in it. We're called to ignore the culture that is telling us to turn away from Christ. We're called to stand together in pursuing Christ. And that's what we see Daniel doing here. And as usual, with the king of Babylon, if they can do something right, Daniel has promised wealth and he's promised position. 
verse 17. Look at what happens here. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Now, if you remember back in the last chapter when Daniel had to tell Nebuchadnezzar, hey, you're going to go crazy for seven years, Daniel didn't want to give that news, did he? He was hesitant. Right now, he's like, king, you messed up. You need to keep your stuff for yourself. You need to know there's trouble coming. And he goes on here. He says in that verse, he says, Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. Whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken away from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. In the past when Daniel's gone before the king, Daniel has taken a moment to praise the king. But Daniel's just been insulted and he responds pretty curtly. He doesn't build the king up. Instead, what he does is he said, hey, let me tell you what my God's done. Let me tell you about the last guy who had me in here doing his bidding. Let me tell you what God did to him. Daniel is being consistent. He tells the king, keep your stuff. And then he goes through and he talks about what God did to Nebuchadnezzar. Basically what he's saying is, king, I can help you. But you may not like the outcome because here's what God did before. And look at what he tells, tells him that God has done here. He says in verse 22, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart though you knew all of this. He said, you knew the right thing to do. You knew what was going to honor God. You knew the history of what's happened in this kingdom and you've ignored every bit of it. Verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. He says, Belshazzar, your pride is what's caused this. Your pride has caused you to defy God. Your pride has caused you to do the things that you know dishonor God. And you're reaping the rewards of that right here. And then he goes into verse 24 and he actually starts to tell him, here's what the writing means. He says, then from his presence the hand was sent and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Now let's stop there for a second. Have you guys ever used those words, many, many, tekel, parson, before? 
Yeah, me. What's that? No, yeah, me neither. Not, at least not the way it's spelled here. Here's the crazy thing to think about this. You remember we talked about there's several chapters in this book, and what was unique about this book is it was written in two languages. Do you remember what those languages were? Hebrew and Aramaic. That's right. This writing would have been in Aramaic. Now, remember how many people are at this party? Thousands of people are at this party. And many of them would have been able to speak Aramaic. Why can't any of them read the writing on the wall and tell somebody what it means? What's that? It's not a new word. Actually, if you go through, there's a couple reasons why scholars believe that they couldn't do this. One reason would have been the way that it was written on the wall instead of left to right. Some people believe it would have been, it could have been left to right or it could have been top to bottom or it could have been right to left. There's a couple different variations. But the other thing is that the, the scholars believe there were no vowels in these words. So they weren't quite sure what they meant. Now, Daniel tells us exactly what those words mean and the translation that's used in the original language. It actually translates it into words that are used for money. Those words are mina, mina, shekel, and half shekel. Those are all money values. And their interpretations are just what Daniel says. Those words stand for numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. Daniel says, King, your days have been numbered. In other words, your days are coming to an end. You're going to die because of the things that you've done, because of the way that you've dishonored God, because your deeds have been weighed. And maybe you've heard that phrase before. Or I, I've seen it in movies. Of, you know, you, you've been weighed and been found wanting, which means you don't quite live up to the standard. That's what it's saying here, is that his deeds have been weighed, that God has taken the things that he's done and he's looked at them, and they don't measure up to God's standard. So he says, your kingdom is going to be divided. You talk about depressing news. Remember, right outside this kingdom, there's an entire army waiting to come in and take over. Here's the incredible thing. If we get news like that, I would hope any one of us would respond with, oh no, I better do something different. But look at what this king does in verse 29. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. There's absolutely no response from this king. Daniel says, you're going to die. Your kingdom is going to be given to other people because you've dishonored God. And there is absolutely no response to that. This is an incredible illustration of what we see in the book of Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Listen to these verses. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, he knows who God is. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
Belshazzar has been told the truth. He knows the truth. He can go back in his own family history and see the truth, and he ignores every bit of it, and he suffers the consequences of that choice. Verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. That very night, he loses his life. You need to go back and read up on this. If you haven't studied your history, remember, they've got this big, impenetrable city that they think nobody can get into. In fact, the Euphrates River, which was this big river, flows through the middle of the city. So what the Persians and the Medes did is in order to attack this city, they actually divert the water from this river. And they get it so that it's shallow enough that they can come in through the entrance where the water is flowing into the city that, that all of the people in the city think is impenetrable. Nobody's going to come through the river because it's the river. They'll drown. They divert the water so that the water's low enough that they can actually come in through this opening in the city wall and they take the place over. This seemingly insignificant little waterway is the downfall of this great city and it happened that very night you talk about the sovereignty of God Jeremiah chapter 51 hundreds of years before this went down listen to this verse 52 therefore behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will execute judgment upon her images and through all her land the wounded shall groan Though Babylon should mount up to heaven, and though she should fortify her strong height, yet destroyers would come from me against her, declares the Lord. A voice, a cry from Babylon, the noise of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans. For the Lord is laying Babylon waste and stilling her mighty voice. Their waves roar like many waters, the noise of their voice is raised, for a destroyer has come upon her, upon Babylon." Her warriors are taken. Their bows are broken in pieces, for the Lord is a God of recompense. He will surely repay. I will make drunk her officials. Remember the party that's going on? And her wise men, her governors, her commanders, and her warriors. They shall sleep a perpetual sleep and not wake, declares the king whose name is the Lord of hosts. Written hundreds of years before this happens in Daniel chapter 5. Because God is sovereign. Because God is in control of all of human history. God is in control when we have leaders in power that we agree with. And God is in control when we have leaders in powers that we don't agree with. God is in control of every single detail of our lives. And we have to remember that when they're going great and when they make absolutely no sense. Because here's the so what moment for us tonight. The so what moment is this, is that God is faithful. God is always faithful. Even in captivity for Daniel and his friends, God is there. And because we know God is faithful, we can be faithful to him. Because scripture tells us he will never leave us, he will never forsake us. We can live in obedience to him in a world that tells us, don't follow God. Remember, Daniel's 80-something years old. From the age of 15 until that age, he's lived faithfully. He's not taken a day off from pursuing God. And we are called to do the exact same thing. We see throughout this entire book his life. We see his faithfulness. And we are called to have the same faithfulness as we pursue Jesus Christ every single day. 
Because society is going to change. Your authorities are going to change. Your circumstances are going to change. But God never changes. And he calls us to that exact same faithfulness to him. So that's the question I have for you tonight. Will you be faithful in your pursuit of God? No matter who's speaking into your life, no matter who your leader is, no matter what's happening on a daily basis, will you be faithful in your pursuit to God, or of God through Jesus Christ every single moment of every single day? There may be some of you in here tonight, you don't have a pursuit of God because you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And you can do that right here tonight. Scripture tells us that he paid a penalty that we owe. He died on the cross for our sin. And you know what sin is. It's everything that you've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong that dishonors who God is. It's lying. It's stealing. It's cheating. It's adultery. It's thoughts that don't honor God. It's all of those things and so much more. Scripture tells us there's a penalty for that and it's death, but it's not just a physical death. It's an eternal spiritual death, separation from God. And you and I can't pay that price. That's why God sent Jesus Christ who lived a sinless life and willingly gave it up on the cross to pay the debt that we could not pay. And three days later, he took his life back up and he walked out of that tomb and he conquered physical death and he conquered sin. And he gives us the opportunity to say, God, I'm a sinner and I can't fix myself. But I know Jesus died for me. God, please forgive me of my sin. I want to follow Christ for the rest of my life. Scripture tells us that when you believe that and when you mean that and when you say, it doesn't have to be those words. Those are my words. You can use your own. But when you do that with God, Scripture says you're forgiven of your sin and he holds you in his hand from that moment for eternity. And then you get the choice to pursue him every single day and be faithful to him because he is faithful to you. If you're here tonight and you want to make a choice like that, I want to encourage you, talk to me when the music starts to play or talk to one of the other adults in the room because we would love to celebrate that moment with you. But if you, you just need help following God faithfully every day, you're struggling and you just need somebody to pray for you, pray with you. That's what the orange cards are for. Write down on that card, drop it in this basket, and all the adults in this room, don't know where that came from, will pray for you. And if you want to, pray with you right here tonight. But don't walk out of here without God dealing with you and you dealing with God. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, thank you that we can come together and we can worship you. And Lord, I pray right now that you will help every single one of us to pursue you, God. To put our faith and trust in you and to pursue you every single day, God. Help us to be faithful in that pursuit because you are always faithful to us. Listen, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.